Please open your Bibles to Psalm 7, the seventh psalm for an opening passage of Scripture. This service will be different from the first, and yet we will end up by God's grace at the place we should always end up, and that is that Jesus Christ gets all the preeminence. Amen. Psalm 7 and verse 11. God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. Thus saith the Lord, and we believe it. God said it, that settles it for us. God is angry with the wicked every day. Psalm 9. Psalm 9 and verse 17. The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. The examples that I gave you were nations that forgot God, intentionally so. And they were turned into hell. And we thank God for our nation. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Now come over to Proverbs 29. Some of you read it or listened to it last evening in your preparation for today's worship. But Proverbs 29, and we want the 27th verse to start. Proverbs 29 and verse 27. This is an axiom of the only right worldview which we hold based on the Bible. An unjust man is an abomination to the just. And he that is upright in the way is abomination to the wicked. The verse simply says, the godly hate the wicked and the wicked hate the godly. Right. The children of God hate the children of the devil and the children of the devil hate the children of God. That's the way it's always been. That's the way it is. That's the way it always will be until God gets rid of the children of the devil and casts them into hell and the universe is owned and used by the children of God. If you back up in this chapter to verse 10, we have it stated a different way. Proverbs 29 and verse 10, The bloodthirsty hate the upright, but the just seek his soul. Bloodthirsty wicked men hate upright men, but just men seek the soul of the upright because they band together and love each other because they have a brotherhood as the children of God in this world. The Bible says this animosity is a two-way street of loathing of each other. It began immediately after the rebellion of our first parents and their first two sons. Their sons, son Cain, killed Abel because Abel was better than he was. Abel was righteous. Abel was good. It's not that Abel hurt Cain, it's not that Cain was bad, Abel was bad, it's that Abel was good, and so Cain killed him. And the Bible tells us about this event all the way through the Bible until we get to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 12, and we're told there that the world's going to hate and want to kill us as well, because if we try to live righteously, we're going to be like Abel, and the whole world is full of Cains. God drowned every single person and saved only righteous Noah alive in Genesis chapter 7 and his family of seven members. He drowned everything that had the breath of life in their nostrils. He preached to them for 120 years and they didn't want to hear it, so he drowned every single one of them. You can think of whatever stroke stokes the emotions of your heart or makes you sentimental, God drowned them. I don't care if it's kitty cats and puppy dogs or if it's little children or senior citizens or pretty girls or football quarterbacks. God drowned them all. God destroyed Egypt, its children, its ruler, its army, its wealth for his people Israel because they had mistreated his people, 
because there's war between the righteous and the wicked. God annihilated the Canaanites for profane perversions sexually. It's described in detail in the Bible. Whole chapters are given to their sexual perversions. Leviticus chapter 18, Leviticus chapter 20. David, the sweet psalmist and song leader for Israel, hated wicked men. You're a few pages away from Psalm 139, verses 21 and 22. Psalm 139, 21 and 22. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? And am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. That's the sweet psalmist and poet of Israel. That's David. This is the righteous against the wicked. This is the godly against the evil. This is the children of God against the children of the devil. The worst brutality and injustice, the worst police brutality and injustice, whatever, however you want to call it in history, was Jesus' crucifixion. He was arrested without justification in the Garden of Gethsemane and hauled around to Caiaphas, to Annas, to Pilate, to Herod. Pilate said three times, I find no fault in him. But he crucified him anyway for political expediency. It's a terrible event in history. There was never a more righteous man. Jesus was so far better than Abel. But they killed the Lord Jesus Christ. They beat him until his black till his back was opened wide. They drove stakes into his hands and his nails, into his hands and his feet. They pierced his side. They put a crown of thorns on his head and drove it down into his scalp with a a reed. For 1,700 years, pagan first and then papal Rome tortured and killed Christians just like Jesus said they would. Turn to John chapter 16 with me to see Jesus warning his apostles of what it would be like if they were truly going to follow him. Conflict and hatred between the godly and the wicked is right. It's violent. It's perpetual. John 16, verse 1, These things have I spoken unto you, that ye should not be offended, because things are going to get bad. I don't want you to be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh, that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. And these things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, ye may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now that Jesus was going away, they would be on their own, and the world was going to hate them, torment them, torture them, and kill them. If you listen very much, you will find out that there's a segment of the world that hates Bible Christians. And it's a big segment. It's just that some of them are vocal about it and the rest believe it, but aren't vocal about it. But the promise is here about this warfare. We could call it class warfare if we want to sound a little bit like Stalin. And the classes here are the children of God versus the children of the devil. The martyrs in heaven beg God to kill their enemies on earth for vengeance. We've been to that passage so many times, I hope that you can quote it. They're begging God in heaven. You would think the spirits of just men made perfect are just bleeding blood. They're just pumping sympathy for their torture meisters on earth, but they are not. They are begging for their destruction. This is the word of God. This is our worldview. There is animosity between Cain and Abel, and there was, 
and there is animosity between the Romans, the Jews, and the Lord Jesus Christ, and there's animosity between the martyrs, who are the spirits of just men made perfect in heaven, and their tormentors on earth. Look at Psalm 58. Psalm 58. We are establishing the point that there is conflict and hatred between the godly and the wicked, and it is right, it is violent, and it is perpetual until the Lord Jesus Christ gets rid of them all. Psalm 58 and verse 10, The righteous shall rejoice when he seeth the vengeance. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked, so that a man shall say, Verily, there is a reward for the righteous. Verily, he is a God that judgeth in the earth. Every little bit that you listen to the noise and news of this world and what's been going on in the past one month in our country, I hope that you'll remember these things, that this conflict is nothing new. And so the historical perspective I give you of going back to 1965, 1967, 1970, 1982, those of you that know American history should be able to recognize the four large major events that I just listed off by their dates. I am going all the way back to the creation of the world 6,000 years ago and pointing out that there has always been this conflict. Right. And it is right, and it is violent, and it is perpetual. Next point. I will say it as well as I'm able. And Lord, guard my tongue. Godly men are angry, nauseated, and vengeful about violent protests recently. They know they cannot do to the offenders what David or Nebuchadnezzar or Jesus did. Right. Past tense. None of these three believed or submitted to anything like the Geneva Convention. You should read what David did to the Ammonites, the cousins of the Jews, by Lot, in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Why don't we go and look at it? Let's find out what sweet men do against those that hate God. 2 Samuel chapter 12. Why did I call David a sweet man? Because the Bible calls him the sweet psalmist of Israel. Godly men are angry, nauseated, and vengeful about the violent protests recently. That's my second point. This is hard to read. It's hard to believe. It's in the Bible twice, and it's described in the Bible in other words that make you understand that this is not some mistaking of the Hebrew language. 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 26, And Joab fought against Rabbah of the children of Ammon and took the royal city. And Joab sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Rabbah and have taken the city of waters. Now therefore gather the rest of the people together and encamp against the city and take it, lest I take the city and be called after my name. And David gathered all the people together and went to Rabbah and fought against it and took it. And he took their king's crown from off his head. The weight whereof was a talent of gold with the precious stones. And it was set on David's head. And he brought forth the spoil of the city in great abundance. And he brought forth the people that were therein and put them under saws and under harrows of iron and under axes of iron and made them pass through the brick kiln. And thus did he unto all the cities of the children of Ammon. So David and all the people returned unto Jerusalem. That would be a war crime against humanity. In the effeminate language 
of the trials at the end of World War II. But this is David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. It's described in other ways and other places, and I'm not going to take you there because it's not my point right now. I just want you to remember that about men and what they did. The Lord told them when they took the land of Canaan, they weren't to spare a sucking infant. Every infant was to be killed. Everyone was to be killed. Men, women, and children. It was no difference. He said, if you don't do it, the land will vomit them out. They are so wicked. This is the difference between the righteous and the wicked. I have preached it before, but I'm going to preach it in a little different way right now. My second point is godly men are angry, nauseated, and vengeful about the violent protests recently. Read what Nebuchadnezzar did to any that did not obey his laws. You say, well, that was a pagan king. And I say that was a pagan king that God liked very much. God called him his servant, and God called him the king of kings. And God said through Solomon that a beautiful king is a king against whom there is no rising up. And there was no rising up against the king, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar said, if you don't do it my way, I'll chop you in pieces and turn your houses into a dunghill. That was the order. That is law and order. That is law and order at its finest. If you don't do it the way of the law of this land, I'm going to chop you in pieces and make mincemeat out of you, and I'll turn your house into a dunghill. I'll have semis arise and arrive and bulldoze that house to the ground, and I'll dump a bunch of animal excrement there. I'll turn it into a dunghill. That's the Word of God. Embrace it. I do, and I've embraced it for a long time. But what is my point? My point is godly men are angry, nauseated, and vengeful, about the violent protests recently and nothing being done about it. And there's reasons. And I am not disrespecting our president. He has to walk a fine line between both sides. He's in the middle of this war. The world, Christians included, do not know the Bible Jesus. Look at Matthew chapter 3. They do not know the Bible Jesus. That little long-haired, effeminate John Lennon look-alike that they have that they call Jesus, they need to meet the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible was just like his father David and just like the king Nebuchadnezzar. Does the Bible say that God will laugh and have them in derision in heaven? Strong delusion. Great derision. Look at Matthew chapter 3. This is John the Baptist preaching about his cousin, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's one coming after me who will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. That almost sounds like a joke. That almost sounds like some cool play on words. My cousin that's coming after me is going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost, but he's going to baptize you with fire. He's going to inundate you in fire. He's going to dip this nation in fire whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. There's two kinds of things on earth. There's grain, there's wheat, and there's chaff. The chaff gets burned up with unquenchable fire. That means the fire is not stopped until it's done the burning. And there's grain that is gathered into the storehouses. That is my Jesus. And I'm looking forward to him coming. And when I hear or when I see something that makes me nauseated and makes me angry and makes me vengeful, I know that he has said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord, and they have no idea who they are going to meet and what it is going to be like. But I'm not done with Jesus yet. That's Matthew chapter 3, and I hope you get it. He will baptize you with fire, 
because he's got a fan. He's got bellows. He's going to thoroughly purge his floor and gather the wheat into the garner. He won't lose a single one of them, but he'll take the chaff and burn it up with unquenchable fire. I thank God for my Savior. I thank God for the Lord Jesus Christ who's going to do for me what I want to do, but the law doesn't allow me to do. Amen. Look at 22 and verse 7. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 7. Then said he to his... Verse 7, But when the king heard thereof, and Jesus Christ is king, he was wroth. And he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Just flat out destroyed them. Burned up their city. What does it say about him? He was wroth. Extreme wrath. He was wroth. That's my Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 24 and verse 21, when he came against that city of Jerusalem 40 years later, it's described this way. Matthew 24, 21, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world, to this time, no, nor ever shall be. There will never be a tribulation like the overthrow of Jerusalem by the Roman armies in 70 AD. 1.1 million killed in the besieging of that city. The blood ran like rivers in the streets. They ate each other. Josephus knew the names of those who, of women that ate their children because that had been prophesied in Deuteronomy chapter 28 that the women would eat their children. I want you to think about those words. Women eating their children was by God's design and God's execution upon the enemies of His people because they knew not the time of their visitation when His Son visited earth. That's what Jesus called it. Stay with me. Stay with me. I haven't lost my mind. It's the same mind I've always had. Right. You just don't hear it very often. They don't know David. Ever seen pictures of... Have you ever looked at any medieval art? How they paint David? You know, the, the perfect fairy? Is there such a thing? Jesus, halo on his head, pitiful little guy, wouldn't be able to fight his weight of a wet paper bag. Not my Jesus. Right. My Jesus is on a white horse. Amen. And that bag can't stand before the two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. And the blood of his enemies is dripping from him. And he loves the picture. And he wants us to end the Bible. You've read it? My children, you've read my Bible all the way through from Genesis to Revelation. And the last sight I want you to see is my son sitting on his throne with a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, blood dripping from all over him, and he's calling out to all the fowls of heaven to come and eat the flesh of all his enemies that he's killed. That's the picture. And I say, when can I be baptized? (laughs) Yes. Oh, yes. I want to be baptized in the name of that Savior. Because this world is so wicked and so vile, the, de- the definition of loving righteousness is to hate evil. If he doesn't hate the evil of this world, then he isn't righteous. Because the evil of this world ought to make you angry, nauseated, and vengeful. Godly men are burning, furious, and vengeful about the arrogant, ignorant perversity today. They despise seeing a career criminal and junkie turned into a martyr, 
yet ignoring slain officers of the law. They know that all lives matter, except capital criminals, but including all aborted babies. They cannot stand disrespect of police officers and ranting about defunding them. I'm speaking about godly men. They cannot stand disrespect of history and property by pulling down monuments, even of monuments of men who gave their lives to protect the professed ambitions of the mob. They cannot stand the total lack of understanding and ignorance without any limits by those people when they open their mouths. It is the belching of dogs. It is the barking of dogs. They don't have a clue about property. They don't have a clue about life, citizenship, authority, rulership, or government. They have nothing. Right. As it's always been. Stay with me. Stay with me. They boil to see idiots spit, curse, burn, loot, and destroy stuff they could never earn in ten lifetimes. Mm -hmm. They burn to see no regard for authority of any kind and demand to do as they will. They shake with rage to see mobs of brute beasts threaten, beat, or kill the innocent. They hate to see the mockery of everything they hold dear far above those that are mocking, unreachable of them that are mocking. They hate the lies, the deceit, the hypocrisy, the slander, the reviling of truth that is infinitely above them. They cannot fathom or understand the total lack of ordinary conscience about anything at all. They cannot fathom or understand total lack of appreciation for better everything that is true in the United States for anyone that wants it. They want to withdraw systemic opportunity that has been liberally created for all. They would embrace martial law to clear streets of all anarchists, arsonists, and traitors. If the president could or would act like a president and crush them, they would celebrate. They have no mercy or pity anywhere near their hearts or minds for these criminals. They know that M1 Abrams, Apache helicopters, or SEALs and special forces could cure Chopper Chaz in just a couple minutes. Next point. Lord, thank you for helping me get through it and saying no more than I needed to say. Point three. How angry have you been? How nauseated have you been? How vengeful have you been? Has it been pretty bad the last month? We try not to look. We try to ignore it. I'm trying to be your good pastor. But your good pastor once in a while takes a peek. And a peek is more than he can bear. Because he was trained to think a certain way that was indeed biblical by a wonderful father when he was single digits. There was a reason why he slept with machetes under his pillow. They were for the next communist. Thank you, Dad. Thank you for replacing my knives with guns. (laughs) Thank you for showing me things like the Cat and Forest Massacre 
of the Polish people when I was single digits. I hope that you all are like David and you are like Nebuchadnezzar and you are like Jesus in the degrees and ways we should so that you all have been angry, nauseated, and vengeful. Are you still with me? Because here is where I'm going. But my God is far more angry, furious, and vengeful against me for my depravity is where I'm going. My God is far more angry and furious and vengeful against me for my depravity than I have been toward them. I am not asking for one grain or gram of sympathy for them. The the Bible doesn't allow any. I am wanting us to redirect the anger and the nausea and the vengeance back to God looking at us and what a Savior we have. It is not that we're supposed to go out and save these criminals, these traitors, these seditionists, these artists. We have lumberjacks in this church that have the perfect piece of equipment for them. And it's not a chainsaw. A wood chipper. God is far more angry, furious, and vengeful against us for our depravity. The degree of anger, the degree of fury, the degree of hatred or vengeance depends on two separate factors. First, the righteous character of the one judging surely determines the degree of his wrath. The righteous character of the one judging determines the degree of his wrath. And so hopefully, by the word of God, And by the Spirit of God, we are righteous when we see animals in the street. And it violates us. And it violates our sense of property rights. And we want to do something about it. But there's a God in heaven who's more righteous than we are. And He looks at us. And the second factor is the contrariness and rebellion of the one offending adds to the offended one's wrath. So there's two things, the the degree of the righteousness of the character of the one judging and the contrariness and the rebellion of the one offending. Now we look in the street and we see them burning down blocks of stores, cursing and spitting and carrying stupid signs and, and doing all of that. And so our righteous character is righteously indignant by their contrariness and rebellion to even ordinary civil citizenship let alone what the Bible teaches us. But think about God looking down from heaven on us. When he looked down, what did he find? There is none that doeth good. No, not one. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become filthy. There is none that doeth righteousness. There's none that seeketh after God. God's thrice holy character cannot stand the slightest sin, especially by arrogant men. Heaven was not clean in his sight by a single offense of pride, according to Job 15 and verse 15. As in his questions to Israel in Isaiah that we learned, in Isaiah 1-2, If I am your father, where is my honor? What more could have been done for my vineyard? Have we been contrary to the God of heaven? It's unbelievable 
we make anyone that we've looked at look like a choir boy in comparison to what we've done. They burned down a block that they didn't own. We burned down the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Right. Stay with me. What has man done? He refuses to give thanks and he worships insects. In Romans chapter 1, God said, I made it visibly clear. They are without excuse. They know that I'm their creator. And they make images like unto men and four-footed beasts and creeping things instead of worshiping me. Is that contrary to a God who's infinitely perfect and infinitely wise and has done nothing but good to us every single day of our lives? Right. Thus, the Garden of Eden's transgression brought three deaths. Spiritual death, physical death, eternal death. Thus, the sin and violence of men brought the flood where he drowned every single living person. Thus, the sodomy of the, sin, of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain resulted in burning them up. And all of it resulted in eternal torment. God is righteously indignant with this race, and we are part of this race. Let the doctrine of total depravity affect you more than mere file space in your mind. I want us to think about the doctrine of total depravity when we look at the depravity of those in our streets and about the depravity of God saving us. I am not calling for the least little tiny grain or gram. Let me use that again. You should find out the difference between a grain and a gram. And I'm not asking for the smallest amount of sympathy toward them in the streets. Not one bit. That is not my purpose, and the Bible doesn't teach that. What the Bible does teach is that we should be thankful to the living God for saving us in spite of ourselves. Right. We've burned down everything He tried to send us. I had the best set of parents a man could ever want. And I tried to burn them down as a teenager. I tried to burn down my mom. I remember, I don't mean fire. Oh, that'd be the easiest thing I could do is to burn the house down with fire. Talking about things far worse than that. God is the most easily and most highly offended being far beyond our knowledge. We rebel against offered life in the Garden of Eden, His person, His goodness, and His helpful rules. We rebel against them all. Every rule that He's ever given us is for our benefit. Every rule is for our benefit. They, they are all win-win, and we rebel against them. We are worse than anything we've seen. And it's comforting to me, and I get to preach this weird kind of a message to you. Some of you are probably disappointed that I didn't spend the whole time on the first part. I'm sorry. Oh, no. I want to preach Jesus Christ and Him preeminent. And I've set Him up as the judge of all that's going wrong out there. He will rectify it. And he will rectify it in a way and to a degree you can hardly even imagine. But he also is a glorious Savior. And he saved me. That when I was throwing of cocktails through his windows and burning up his police cars, meaning a parent and two parents and pastors that were sent my way, he saved me anyway. He came and got me while I was burning ministers down. Don't ask me. Instead of worshiping the Creator, we deny He exists and worship lesser creatures. Instead of thinking about our Creator, 
God is not in any of our thoughts. Psalm 10.4. Humanity, that is you, is profane, godless, ignorant, perverse, and cruel. Look at Romans 3 with me. Don't let total depravity be a file in a filing cabinet in your head. Let it be something real. Until you understand sin and until you understand depravity, you can't appreciate salvation. You can't appreciate the love of God. That God would love us in that condition, with that kind of character and that kind of conduct. He loved us anyway, and then He changed us by His mighty grace. Oh, yes. Thank you, Lord, for salvation by Your Word. Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. Have you thought about that? Watching these animals and these monsters in the street belch. Their throat is an open sepulcher, but Paul wrote this by the inspiration of God about your pastor. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and burning and looting and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Come back to Romans 1. Did Romans 3 fit you? It fits me. Is it worse than what's in the street? It's worse than what's in the street. Had God revealed Himself more to me than anyone in the street that you've seen? Did I go ahead and go against that revelation? At times in my life? Romans 1. And even as they did not like to retain God, this is verse 28, in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. I'm going to go ahead and skip what you know is in verses 23 through 28 about sodomy. I want to jump to another list because we often overlook it. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Sodomy is not convenient. Men and men don't fit together well. Women and women don't fit together well. It's not con- Sodomy's not convenient. But I'm about to read to you a list that God puts in a category of not convenient. So here we go. Being filled with all unrighteousness, that's not convenient. Fornication, that's not convenient. Casual sex is not convenient. And I end my commentary to read. Wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. When I read through that list, Are you able, without me doing it for you, because I will not spend that long on this purpose, are you able to read that list and see that it was fulfilled by those in the street? Are you able to read the list and know that you fulfilled it against God? 
Okay. Then you know then you know what the Lord sent you in the second service. But we're not done. When the tree of life was offered freely and openly, we chose the tree of death instead That's right. and then blamed God. When creation truth is powerfully revealed, we deny it, I'm speaking about the human race, we deny it to prefer monkey mamas. When providence truth is powerfully revealed, we reject it for insane mother nature. God's wonderful providence in our lives. When conscience condemns activities, the human race rejects it as religious cultural conditioning. When it's the candle of the Lord right. trying to save us from the inside. When a perfect man visits the earth, raising the dead and doing good, we kill him. When gospel truth is told with powerful miracles, we mock it. The Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. And so the gospel was foolishness to both categories of men. When we are told God has forgiven us 10,000 talents, we'll choke another person for 100 pence, right. especially our wives. Our resume is folly, disobedience, deception, lust, malice, envy, and hate. Let me show you your resume. Titus, chapter 3. Titus. When the Bible says that God's gift of His Son is an unspeakable gift and the riches of grace in Christ Jesus are unsearchable, I hope I'm helping you see that. If all of you get as angry and nauseated and vengeful as your pastor, and I hope that I am right in line with David, Nebuchadnezzar, and Jesus, I could not care less about another single person on this planet. I want to measure myself by God and the men that he said were great. Right. But I'm just, if you're that way, then I hope this message is getting through to you like the Lord got through to me. We are not going to open up a soup kitchen for protesters, arsonists, and seditionists. I'm not asking for one bit of sympathy except sympathy for the God of heaven and praise for the God of heaven for saving us right. in spite of ourselves. He watched me looting in the street. All sorts of hand gestures and face gestures of disrespect and loathing of authority. He watched me. He sent two parents, and when the police car rolled up, I threw a bottle of gasoline through a window and burned it to the ground. But he didn't quit. He grabbed me by the neck and apprehended me in Paul's words. We usually use apprehended for a sheriff getting a hold of someone. The Lord apprehended me, and I want to apprehend what he apprehended me for. And so I'm a pastor. Titus 3, 
your resume, my resume, is folly, disobedience, deception, lust, malice, envy, and hate. It's in verse 3. Titus 3.3. 3. For we ourselves, Paul, speaking of, Timoth, of Titus and Christians, for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Paul preached like I am to you today. Look at that list. I'm going to, go, I'm going to read it to you again. Folly, disobedience, deception, lust, malice, envy, and hate. I'm going to read the verse again. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. My last point, but God. Did, did you see the next word? Did you cheat and look ahead to the next word? Yep. Did you know where I was going? Titus 3, 4. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy. He should have shot me in the street. He should have rolled the M1 Abrams over me. He should have brought an Apache attack helicopter right down to street level and let me look at all of its armaments before they touched them off. So that I could look at that Gatling gun and do a little bit of mental calculation that 6,000 rounds per minute means 100 bullets per second is going to impact my body. It's going to hurl me three city blocks in two seconds. That's a Gatling gun. And it's just dangling there with great big giant boxes of ammo inside because it only takes holding that trigger a little bit and your helicopter goes up because the weight just went down. Forgive me. After that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me that He grabbed me in the street when He should have gunned me down with an Apache attack helicopter and then ground me into the asphalt as the M1 Abrams went over me at 45 miles an hour and then backed up and did it again? There are video. You can go and look up some videos of M1 Abrams going over cars, backing up, going over cars and backing up until it's called a car pancake. And he could have done that to me, but you know, he didn't do that to me. He saved me. Amen. Then he changed my nature. Then he told me, I've put you in my will for an eternal inheritance. This is the grace of God. Right. So whenever you're getting angry and you're righteously stirred up, and you are righteous. I'm talking about righteous indignation. You are like David. You are like Jesus. You are like Nebuchadnezzar, but I'm not using him as an example of righteousness. I'm using him as an example of civil authority against whom there is no rising up that God said was a beautiful civil ruler. When you do that, I want you to think about the fact that God looked down on us and saved us, though we were just like them and worse. Right. And worse. Most of them don't know much better. I knew a whole lot better. Did anybody in, has anybody else 
in this church except its pastor ever sinned against knowledge and truth? Thank you. Oh, I was thinking for a few minutes that I was the only one. And the silence in the room was, he is messed up. I know I'm messed up, but Jesus saved me anyway. He saved the Gadarene. Do you remember what the Gadarene was like? Did the Gadarene fit the last month of America pretty well? Naked, stripped down, couldn't bind him with chains, living in the cemetery, just totally contrary to all humanity. Though the most evil, vile rebels ever, God's kindness and love saved us. Those are the verses you want for this week. Titus 3, 3 through 7. 3 is our resume. 3 is us in the street. 3 is us, God should have sent us to hell. 4 through 7 is, He didn't. He didn't. He didn't. He saved us. He changed us. He gave us an eternal inheritance. And He threw us into a room with a bunch of other bums saved just like us. That's what a church is. We're just a bunch of rebels from the street apprehended by Jesus Christ and thrown together in a room where the order is love each other. And he changed us, so guess what? We want to love each other. We may be loners by nature and personality, and we would prefer being off by ourselves, but he says, I'm going to throw you into a Love them all. Love every one of them. Don't forget your one another duties. Is what he says to me. When our anger is hottest, we can think about God's anger at us. It was far hotter. Remember the two rules? Number one, the degree of the righteousness and holiness of the one offended and the contrariness and rebellion of the one that he's offended against. God looking at us is far worse than us looking at the rabble in the streets. Right. When our anger is hottest, we can think about God's anger at us before he saved us. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. What would we owe the world's richest man adopting us while burning and looting? As you tremble with rage at outrageous lies and acts today, think of God's eternal wrath. Eternal wrath. His anger is not turned away, and his arm is stretched out still. Should I say it as many times as Isaiah? His anger is not turned away, and his arm is stretched out still. His anger is not turned away, and his arm is stretched out still. His anger is not turned away, and his arm is stretched out still. His anger is not turned away, and his arm is stretched out still five times in the first ten chapters of Isaiah. One more verse and we close. Ephesians 2. This is the other passage of Scripture that is just precious. Ephesians 2. The foolish shall not stand in his sight. He hates all workers of iniquity. He loves me. He loves you. How? Choosing us in Christ Jesus before the world began, who is the yea 
in the amen of my deliverance. Jesus is the yea and the amen of taking me out of the streets and making me a child of the King. And I'll walk different streets with him soon. Ephesians 2. Let me just read it to you. Think, with, think with, along with me as I read the words and I close. Ephesians 2, 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. In the ages to come, He's going to show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through the yea and the amen of our religion. The Lord Jesus Christ, the surety of our salvation, He will not lose a single one of us. Moreover, the law entered. I said that was going to be the end. I'll get into my prayer. Stand with me, please.